This past week, we got some devastating news in Australia. Um, many people were shocked at the passing of Shane Warne on the 7th of March in Thailand. Ecclesiastes 3 says that there is a time for everything. There is a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Last week, Pastor Gary shared about the promises activated. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the passing of those promises forward. As we continue to look at the life of Abraham, we see that God has taken him and his family on a journey. And today, we're going to explore more of that journey. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it's living and active today. That things that happened thousands of years ago still impact us today. You still speak into our lives with your word. And we are so grateful for it. Now, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open and that, Holy Spirit, you will fill this place. And may you receive the glory and the honor that is due to you today. In thy precious and holy name. Amen. So we're starting in Genesis chapter 23. Now Genesis chapter 23 opens up with the death of Sarah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, verse 1 says. She died in Kerath Arba, which is also Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. You know, when you open your Bible and you look at chapter 23, the actual title of that section is called The Death of Sarah. However, only the first verse really refers to the actual death itself. So ladies, all of you who are romantics in here and you watch the shows and there's someone who is dying and you see all this romantic stuff happen, that didn't happen here. We do know that Abraham mourned the death of Sarah, we, some scholars even believe that he wasn't even present when she died. But here we are, it's called the death of, Sarah, a death of Sarah. But regardless, the emphasis of this passage didn't focus on Sarah's death, but it focused on where she was buried. The next 17 verses is actually dedicated to the negotiations Abraham had with the Hittites to purchase a burial plot for himself and his family. Now, oftentimes when we read scripture, we tend to read through the stories, and when something like this happens, you've got to stop and say, hang on, why is the writer spending so much time 
talking about a burial plot. When we think that the emphasis is on Sarah's death, and yes, that is important, but the 17 verses is dedicated to this burial plot. Don't you just love studying the Bible? When you get in deep, you find these real pearls. You could easily read through and miss this. As I mentioned before, last week, we lost the great legend Shane Warren. He passed away in Thailand, and on Friday, Shane's body returned here to Australia. Interesting that Shane passed away in Thailand, but he wasn't buried in Thailand. And there's a reason for that. It's because Shane isn't Thai. Shane is Australian. And so Shane's body was brought home because that's where his family is and that's where he would have been buried, wanted to be buried. Australia is Shane's home. But Sarah's home wasn't in Hebron, where she had died. It was actually in Ur of the Chaldean. The Bible tells us that Abraham himself identified as a foreigner and stranger. In verse 3, it says, And Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. Now, wouldn't the natural thing to be to take Sarah home, to where her family was, to where she grew up, to the place that she knew? Abraham's identifying that this place is where they feel like foreigners. So why is it that 17 verses is dedicated to finding a burial site for Sarah in a land that he recognizes as being foreign to him? Well, we actually can find the answer to this in Genesis chapter 15. This is before Isaac was born, Abraham's son. This is when Abraham followed God and he left his country and he followed God and he went into Canaan. And this is where the word of the Lord came to him. And in Genesis 15, this man will not be heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up to the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 8 goes on and he said, to your descendants, I will give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Canaanites, the Kezizites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigashites, and the Jezebites. You see Abraham stepping into the promise that God had given him many years before. So God had promised him this land. And even though he was a foreigner in this land, he trusted in this promise that God had given him. So in chapter 23, although it's devoted to the legal transaction, transaction involving the purchase of a burial plot in Canaan. You see, Abraham, during this transaction, wasn't happy in renting a tomb. No, he wanted to purchase the tomb. He wanted to invest in this promise that God had given him. 
into this land that would eventually be his home. Imagine how awkward it must have been for Abraham to negotiate this with people that he knew they were going to take the land from. But he purchased this land in faith and he invested in this promise and he buried his beloved Sarah in faith. Imagine how much that would have been taken, how much that would have taken for him to say, I will bury Sarah here. And by doing that, he passed this promise forward to his family because this would be the future burial site of his family. Yesterday, I was driving on the ring road and I was heading up um, towards North Shore. And I was going up to North Shore. I, you know all the roadworks that were going on? I don't know about you, but when I hit these roadworks, there's pieces of stuff going on here and stuff there and all over the place. And I can't figure out how they're going to make this work. You know, because it doesn't make sense. I am focused on driving on the road and I'm going, how on? And then all of a sudden, something closes and then it opens and you go, oh, wow. I never saw that. And that road that you were on actually disappears and becomes something else. And you go, what road was that that I used to travel on? Have you done that before? Because these people map out this incredible system out on the road. But yet, if you go up from an aerial and you take an aerial shot of it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You can kind of see. So that's the ring road and you see it coming together. But when you're focused and you're driving ahead and you're on this road, you can't see beyond the road that you're driving. What Abraham saw was that he was on this road, but he understood that although he couldn't see the future, and in fact, he never lived long enough to see Israel take that land, he trusted and he had faith into that promise. He was willing to fully invest into that promise of God. And through the years, his faith grew, and he understood that just because in life, there's the presence of pain. It doesn't mean that there's a lack of love. That God loves us and he has this plan for us and it's perfect. And although we can just see that, God is working on all these roads to make our life perfect. His investment into the promise of God and his faith continued. And you know what? Because of that, that investment even went into his servant. Because chapters 24 and chapters 25 of Genesis, he's actually invested into his servant and he's asked his servant to go and find a bride for his son. But it was important to Abraham that that bride not be found in the land of the foreign, that they were to go back, his servant was to go back to his homeland and find a bride. He said to his servant, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among who, uh, whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Here is a man of God who has been called by God, and people are watching him. And this servant has seen this man of faith. He has seen the journey that God has taken him on. And what does his servant do? 
his servant turns to the same living God and he prays. And as he gets down, he prays, his servant gets down and he prays to the Lord, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one who have chosen, you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I know that you have shown kindness to my master. The Bible tells us that he didn't even get a chance to finish his prayer when he lifted his eyes up and this woman started walking towards the well. And the servant approached this woman trusting and having the faith that he saw Abraham have. And he approached Rebecca. And Rebecca answered all of those questions. She provided water for him, and she offered to provide water for the camels. But you know what? The most fascinating thing about this is that God went one step further. Remember at the beginning when I talked about all these really interesting things in the Bible that if you just read through that you miss? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 22, hidden amongst, Abraham had just gone and he had just been tested by God and he offered his, his son Isaac on the altar. God told him, no, don't harm your son. Don't harm your son. I just wanted to know that your heart was for me. And then he leaves that situation. And then the next verse all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes out, and it goes Nahor's sons. Now, it's fit in between all of this, comes Nahor's son, and then it's the death of Sarah. And you kind of look, well, what's the point of this? Sometime later, Abraham was told, Mekillah is also the mother. She, was, she has born sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Padash. I am so glad I don't have to remember these names in kids' church. Honestly, I'd be lost. Jidef and Bethuel. And Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons Teba, Gamma, Tahash, and Mekah. Okay, so out of all of that, the important thing there that you see is Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. What was one of the things that Abraham requested back of his servant to find a woman for his son from his family? And when, when the servant approached Rebekah that day and asked her, she said, I am the daughter of, I am the daughter of Bethuel, who is the son of Nahor, who is the brother of Abraham. Now, that sounds confusing, but it's not. What God did was he went beyond and he fulfilled ahead of time. He already knew Abraham hadn't even gotten to the point to ask for a bride for Isaac. 
And God was already preparing the road. God already had it sorted. So sometimes in life when we're going down this road and we can't see ahead, you can be assured that God has already planned it. That he knows what that road looks like. You might not. I certainly don't know what those roads look like. But God does. As soon as Isaac found out that this woman was also from the family line that God had provided, what did he do? He crumbled. The man bowed down and he worshiped the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. You know, sometimes when things like that happen in life, we chalk it up to coincidence. You know coincidence? Well, that's a coincidence, you know. Wow, that's, that's amazing. That's really a coincidence. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to challenge that. I'd like to challenge that in the sense that in Christianity, when you believe in Jesus, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Do you know the only place in the Bible that coincidence is, is mentioned is when Jesus is talking about the, the good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, verse 31. So it goes like this. Jesus said, and by coincidence, a certain priest was going down in that way. And having seen him, he passed over to the opposite side. You see, coincidence in the, in, in the Greek is sun and curious. Sun meaning together with, and curious means supreme in authority. So the biblical definition, the biblical definition of coincidence is what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. So this week, I'm in my office. I get a call from my daughter. She's going through this really difficult time. She has this really massive conversation happening, and she calls me, and she says, Mama, I just don't know what to do. And I'm sitting there, and I'm being the mother, and I'm going, I don't know, honey. Uh, you know, this is really hard. I, 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 I don't know, but you know what? We can pray about this. And so we prayed over the phone, and we, I said, God, you know, you're in charge of this situation. We prayed together. We hung up the phone. Five minutes later, she texts me, and she goes, Mom, you wouldn't believe it. She said, I just got this text message. And this text message was an answer to this difficult situation she was Coincidence? I actually believe it's God intervening and being in charge of the situation together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. It wasn't a coincidence. It was God at work. Now, we see Rebecca in the story. She gets up, and she goes with a stranger. As a bride myself, I came into Australia. I left my family in Canada, and I came here. Now, I thought it was going to be okay. I, I didn't think I was going to have difficulty because I traveled quite substantially before I came to Australia. But I didn't understand how incredibly hard it was going to be. I didn't have my family close by. 
I couldn't find the eggs in the supermarket because you don't keep it in the same place they keep it in Canada. There were little things in culture that just, just didn't add up to the way that I grew up. And every little bit of it made it difficult. It was hard. And I can't imagine Rebecca having the stranger coming into her life saying, you have been chosen by God. I want you to come with me. Are you willing? And Rebecca gets up and she follows. Now, she could have had those romantic stars in her eyes or whatever, but once she got there, I'm sure her life would have been a challenge. Getting used to the new customs, getting used to a new family, having left her family and what she'd known behind. But I want you to think that Rebecca's journey was the beginning like Abraham did when he was called out of um, Ur, of the Chaldean. He had no idea what God was calling him into or what would happen. And Rebecca was the same. But Rebecca became part of the lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ. And because of her faithfulness and because of her courage and her willing to step forward, and instead of keeping the ro- her eyes on that road, she said, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And she packed up and she followed and she went into the unknown. So I ask you, the story about Abraham, I mean, this was thousands of years ago. What does that mean for us today? Especially when we're living in a world that's so volatile. You know, these past couple of weeks have been intense. We have had families down south suffering from tremendous floods. And as being in Townsville, we can relate to that. We have this family in the Ukraine, families in Ukraine suffering tremendously. You know, I was watching just this morning how it really broke my heart because I have a daughter who's a piano player. And this girl goes up and she goes and she lifts this dust cover off this grand piano and she kind of dusts it off and she sits down and she's all dressed up, rugged up in her winter clothing. And she sits there and she plays the most beautiful classic music. Just gorgeous. And as the person who's filming is filming her, the camera starts to pan around and the house has been destroyed by gunfire and, and bombs or whatever, missiles. You see, she walks down the stairs and you see the kitchen table all intact in the kitchen and rubble everywhere and the house destroyed and holes through the ceiling. And you got to say, is God in this? I mean, if these people are on this road and they keep their eyes straight ahead, does God have a plan for them? He does. He does. When Caitlin was in grade five, um, she went into renal failure. And she was in the hospital and the doctor told me I should bring my husband because he had no idea how to get her kidney started again. And I remember taking a shower that morning and I felt very alone in my grief. 
I had no idea what that road was ahead. I had no idea what tomorrow held. You see, grief is very, very personal. It's not something that we can share. It's our own burden. Others can support us, but they can't really understand it. And it was so eerie because I looked out the window that morning, and when I looked out the window, life was going on. My life had come to a complete halt. But as I looked out that window, the cars were traveling by, and, and everything was going on. And I didn't know what to do with that. Because your world is going okay does not mean your world is going to go okay tomorrow. But does that change who God is? When you go through the difficult things in life or you're faced with the uncertainty, the presence of pain isn't the lack of God's love. Not once did we see God abandon Abraham and not fulfill his promise to him. When times were difficult, I wonder if we approach our problems with a matter of feeling or rather do we approach it with a matter of faith? Philip Yancey, in Disappointment with God, describes two kinds of faith. He says, We may experience times of unusual closeness when every prayer is answered in an obvious way and God seems intimate and caring. And we may also explain, experience those fog times when God stays silent. When nothing works according to the formula and all the Bible's promises seem glaringly false, Loyalty and faithfulness involves learning to trust that beyond the perimeter of that fog. You see, God still reigns, and he has not abandoned us, no matter how it may appear. I want to give you some of those promises to rest on this morning in closing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight when you're going down that road and life just takes that turn keep your eyes there because there's roads happening all around you and you don't know how it's going to turn out in the end but it will one day they're going to open that road and you're going to go, oh my goodness, I get it. I understand. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since once what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The promises that God gives us are passed forward. They're not just here. They're out there as well. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always, always be with us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness, for your strength, for your power through the difficult times. And Lord, when we are too weak to pray, you get that. You are there with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You carry us. 
So God, for the people here this morning, I pray that this has been an encouragement to them, that they see that the promises that you gave weren't just for now, but they're for the future and their promises passed forward, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God.